everywhere you look on social media, there seem to be photos and videos of coyotes roaming our streets. What are they looking for as they wander into suburbia? And what are you supposed to do when you see a coyote in your backyard? Wildlife ecologist David Choate explains and tells us who's really in danger as we build further and further into the desert. It's Thursday, February 23rd, 2023. I'm David Figler, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Dr. David Cho, welcome to CityCast Las Vegas. Thank you for having me. Dr. Cho, we want to talk about coyotes today. Big question, are we seeing more coyotes in Las Vegas in previous years? And if yes, why do you think that is? Okay, so there's a challenge to figuring out whether or not we're seeing more or less, and that depends upon whether or not we actually have a count of how many were here before, Ah, and we don't. Right. And so that's a problem. And if you have more people in an area looking more often, you'll see more things because you'll have more interactions. Yeah, I mean, people do have like these ring doorbells now or versions Mm -hmm. thereof. And so we're seeing a lot of footage that maybe wasn't around just a few years ago. So it seems like there's more coyotes. So it's certainly possible that you can see more or less from day to day or year to year. Whether or not that actually means that the population itself has changed in size is not necessarily the case. There's a lot of random variation in populations. Why, Why do wild animals like coyotes come into urban areas? Are they just not getting enough food out there, or is there other things? There are several factors that could lead to them being in town. I always like to turn things on their head, though, for a moment and think about, well, it might not be necessarily that they're moving into town, but our town is actually moving out in a habitat that they've already been in. Right. right. So that's part of it as we develop out into the edges. Mm -hmm. And that certainly has occurred in a lot of other states, for instance, where you build up the valley floor and then you start building on the shelves around mountains. So basically those ledges and that area was former, for instance, winter ground for deer and things like this. And now you put all the nice homes on those ridges and ridgelines you are now in deer habitat Mm -hmm. or you are in a predator's habitat. So that will increase it. But there are other reasons why animals could end up moving in different directions. Many species display dispersal where when individuals reach a mature age or when they're kind of in between or in between maturity and, but they're too old to stay with their parents, those individuals leave home. So you tend to see males basically pack up and go different distances. So kind of a, a, a rumspringa for uh, for the coyote uh, males? Yep, exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so let's, let's, let, or let's go walk about. <laughs> let's see what else is out there. Sure. And I, I always am curious when we talk about moving populations of animals, if climate change is a factor in any way. So it definitely can. And its effects are going to start kind of at the level of primary productivity. So when you start changing climate, one of the first things that changes is the availability of plants. Think of, you know, pinion and juniper moving down or upslopes on a mountain, something like this. And then the animals are dependent upon that for food. So think of your herbivores are also going to start adjusting their distributions. And no surprise, the predators are going to follow as well. So are coyotes coming into like Las Vegas proper looking for food? Most likely not. In other words, most likely it's not that a coyote was sitting on the mountain and is going, well, there's no food here. I'm going to go down there instead. There's only so much habitat 
So if the natural habitat for the coyotes, let's say, is in the mountain ranges and part of the outlying areas, when you hit a certain density of coyotes or mountain lions in that place, any offspring that are produced have to go somewhere, mm -hmm. right? And if that area can only support so many because there's so much food present, then yes, the excess is going to wind up spilling over into other places, looking for new places to, to live. And there you can get those individuals ending up in towns or crossing through towns to look for new resources. Okay. You know, there's a lot of social media and discussion about coyotes being in the neighborhood, coyotes being closer and closer, and even coyotes being, you know, near the strip. How should we react when we see a coyote in our neighborhood? It all depends upon what the coyote is doing. For the most part, if you see a wild animal, that, at least to me, being a wildlife ecologist, is a great experience. So enjoy it. <laughs> You know, <laughs> take, take pictures, you know, watch the animals, see what they're up to. But there does seem to be um, a lot of bias about coyotes specifically. I mean, people are like, grab your babies, grab your little doggies, uh, the coyotes here, and they're seemingly very fearful of it. So what should people do when their dog or their kid is around and a coyote shows up? So this is actually fascinating to me. So one of my areas of research interest is in predation risk, essentially how predators scare their prey. And how just those behavioral changes in the prey to avoid being eaten can change all sorts of dynamics in populations. And the same thing to a certain extent is happening here. People see a predator and conjure up all sorts of images of the worst possible scenario of the predator. That is, the animal is dangerous, it makes its living catching and killing and eating other things. Am I now at risk or my offspring at risk? And what doesn't help is that when they get information about it, often through social media, it's about, oh, this individual was attacked by an animal. That's why it's on the news and they hear about it. So the bias is all of the negative consequences of interactions with those animals. What's overlooked is all of the positive or neutral interactions that happens with those animals, and they far outweigh the ulterior consequences. But, you know, you're, I don't think that you're recommending that people like walk up to a coyote or a pack of coyotes <laughs> and try to, you know, cuddle and coo. <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely not. They are wild animals and they won't take to that to life very likely. They have a respect for the animal. You know, respect that, yes, it is a wild animal. Having some fear for a predator is rational, right? In, in the sense that it's a protective measure. But on the other hand, there's all sorts of cultural baggage that adds irrational fear to that. <laughs> so so wanting to run away or be concerned that this thing is going to attack them when that animal might actually literally just be passing through the neighborhood. And you at that moment aren't, aren't on their radar for anything. So when, when should people engage in some way? I mean, I've read things about something called hazing. What, what's that all about? And when should somebody haze? Hazing is just simply harassing the animal in order to try and get a response out of the animal that makes the animal more fearful of you. That could involve throwing rocks at an animal. It could involve shouting at an animal, using noise or a sound or a horn to make noise in a direction, waving your hands and clapping and things like this. Anything that will make you appear to be assertive, more aggressive, and actually more threatening towards that animal. And when should somebody decide that it's time to start the hazing <laughs> as opposed to just kind of like sit back with your little cell phone and enjoy the moment? Exactly. This really depends upon what the animal level of interest is in you. For an average animal, if the coyote is essentially walking down the street and ignoring you, then it has its own mission, purpose, whatever you may say. That's not 
a situation where the animal is a threat. If the animal is sitting there watching you, well, there's a gradient there that can happen. It could be they're curious. These are intelligent animals, whether it's a mountain lion or a coyote, and they're looking to see what's in the landscape. On the other hand, a predator may get used to or comfortable enough with looking at people to start making that evaluation. Is this something that could be food or not? And then at that point, it really depends upon how the person responds. I think that there is a concern, baggage or otherwise, that little kids or little dogs, but especially yeah. children, are seen as food. Have there been yeah. kids attacked by coyotes in Las Vegas, to your knowledge? So this is, again, where real versus perceived risk is important. And it's hard to get a sense just from the numbers. So in terms of coyotes, there have been a series of studies where people have looked at all the attacks on people um, through North America. And in this case, looking for all verified evidence that people were bit directly grabbed and that you have to define carefully what you mean by attack. So this is not that the coyote was just sitting there watching somebody. And in um, most of them spanning about a 45 to 50 year period in that period, so up through about 2020 or so, approximately 360 or so people have been attacked by coyotes. Now this is across North America. So the United States and Canada. And of those cases, it's depending upon which study you look at, it's almost equal or slightly weighted towards adults actually and not kids. So anywhere from 50-50 to more like 60, 40, 60% of the people that were actually attacked might've been adults as opposed to kids. That's all very interesting to me, especially that there are some sets of data, but it sounds like there's not a whole lot in, in the Las Vegas Valley. I'm just wondering if a place like Las Vegas needs to have a management strategy as, as it relates to the coyote population, or if there is one already in place, do you know? So first off, coyotes in the state of Nevada are unprotected mammals. That means that they, like rabbits, can be hunted at any time without a permit, pending land use rights and things like this. But basically, they're unlike a game species, a protected species, anything like this. Is that because the size of the coyote population is so big or... Is it fair to have a year-round, I guess, open season on, on coyotes, in your opinion? So some of that actually goes back to history. Back until uh, the 1960s, all predators were essentially hunted for control as varmints. So mountain lions, bears, everything were seen as a threat, a threat to people's property, a threat to their livestock, uh, a threat to anything that they're raising. And so there were bounties paid for actually reducing populations of all of these predators, coyotes, wolves, etc. In North America, we were really successful with eliminating wolf. We were not really successful with mountain lions, although we were east of the Mississippi. So mountain lions as, as a species disappeared in the eastern part of the U.S. where they used to exist as a result of that kind of outright campaign against predators. And this involved hunting, trapping, poisoning, all sorts of things. Coyotes also for a lot of that abuse, just like wolves did. But interestingly, coyotes and mountain lions both came out the other side of that by living in really difficult to reach places. Coyotes also can reproduce really well. So if they have food, they can recover quickly. They have large litters and this sort of thing. So 
in the 1960s, a change in thinking about the role predators play in the environment brought the public's conscious around and state management agencies transformed species like bears and mountain lions and the like to being big game predators. So instead of being bountied, there were seasons in which people could apply for tags to hunt those species specifically. And no longer was it a campaign to get rid of the animals, but rather to just regulate their levels on the environment. And coyotes, where did they fare? They were never given that option. <laughs> they basically were never upgraded to being a game species. Now, the interesting part of the history is people have been trying to eliminate them again, going all the way back to colonial days, and they rebound really well. They are still here. They pop back. Part of this is because if you create an opening in one place where you remove them, if there are any pups that are produced someplace else, they will use that opening and establish a new pack or a new territory with a pair, and those individuals will fill in that gap, basically. Do you, do you have a personal opinion as to whether or not there should be more limited killing of animals like coyotes or coyotes specifically? So I don't see personally necessarily a need to remove them unless circumstances dictate, like they become a threat to individuals, this sort of thing. I am more interested in terms of the role they actually play on the landscape. Mm. And my concern would be if you do continue to wantonly remove them, what impact that might have on the rest of the ecosystem. So they are a middle-sized predator that play an important role with respect to relations for bobcats and foxes. They're higher up in the food chain as far as that goes, but they're also lower down than cougars. Hmm. And whenever you remove one of these predators, you change the way that whole system is structured. And there can be all sorts of unforeseen consequences in terms of releasing one predator or not, or removing them and releasing others in terms of the impact that has on the rest of the species in the environment. That's a very thoughtful answer, and thank you for that. Let me change gears for a second. There was a, a coyote-based story in the news in Las Vegas very recently about a, a household pet named Ghost. The story is that you know somebody's pet either got out or was left. That part is a little uncertain, but what is certain is that he was sighted sometime later essentially running with a pack of coyotes. Is it common at all for somebody's dog to wind up in the midst of a coyote pack? <laughs> is that is that something that we see more than just with ghost? Or is ghost kind of a Las Vegas anomaly? I think ghost is probably an anomaly in general. When dogs go feral, they can certainly form their own packs. And that I've seen in plenty of places. And what people don't realize is when they start going feral, those individuals will go out and kill all sorts of things in the environment meaning even their well-fed pets as they form these kind of feral groups. All right. It's an interesting story anyway in our, in our community, especially as coyotes become more visible. And I guess let me end this way. The relationship between wild animals like coyotes and Las Vegas as we grow, what can we do as a community to better strike a balance so everyone can live in harmony? So there are lots of moral models to look at for this, and Vegas is not unique. A few years ago, Stan Garrett at Ohio State started a research program in the city of Chicago, right? And so the city of Chicago has many more millions of people than we do here. And when he started that study, he thought, I'm going to go out and capture all the coyotes in the city of Chicago because they're designated 
forest preserve districts and kind of green belts and things like this. And it probably wouldn't take much effort to do this. And very rapidly, he found he couldn't set out enough traps. He had the lily over several years, he's caught thousands of coyotes within the city boundaries. There are that many living with that many millions of people in that space. And for much of the history, most people in Chicago didn't realize they had coyotes in their backyard because the coyotes were there. They used the shelter spaces, the, the forest preserve districts and things like this. And for the most part, shifted their activity to be more active at night, not so active in the daytime. And for the most part, depending upon where they were in town, more or less took normal prey that you would expect coyotes to be eating anywhere in terms of small mammals and this sort of thing. And the ones in more urban areas with more kind of interactions would take the occasional house pet and this sort of thing. So those sort of relationships have been for around for a while. And I think it's just in part, we are becoming more cognizant that they're actually there. We're actually noticing it because now we have cameras, people will hear about it in the press. They're more kind of aware that, oh, there are these animals around, so they're looking for these things. And so now we see them in town. Mm-hmm. Now, whether or not that means there are more of them or not, eh, that's hard to tell. As far as living with them, however, they've been doing that for a while. For us, the transition is to not do things that would lead to them losing respect of us in both directions. So putting out food for them, trying to entice them in, trying to break down those barriers is not a good idea because they are indeed a separate wild animal. Anything that makes you look more like like your pet, for instance, being a potential prey item to them is not a good idea. And that may mean some adjustments like not putting food out in your backyard, like making sure your pets at night stay inside or they stay with you on a leash when you're out places especially in wilderness areas or out on the edges of town. The biggest one I can throw out for people is really awareness. All over North America, only two people have ever been attacked and killed by coyotes at all. Okay, that's a really small statistic. If you, Wait, I mean, only two people ever? Two. Yeah, Since... on record so far, I actually looked up for the best I could. As far as I can tell from what the data show, only two people have actually been killed by coyotes. More attacks, but you're saying actual death yeah, resulting. Oh, wow. Correct. There are about 300 or so attacks that have occurred over you know the last 50 years or so, but only two people have actually died. Every year, approximately 25 to 30 people die from being attacked by pet dogs. Hmm. So more, orders of magnitude more than anyone's ever died from being attacked by a coyote. Yeah. And I think even the Nevada Wildlife website suggests that you are more at risk of being injured by a champagne cork popping, I think is the example that they use, than a coyote attack. But it really is, really is interesting. Hey, Dr. David Choate, it's been really fun talking with you about our coyotes. And as we see them more, obviously, we need to be more aware and understand a little bit more. So good luck with uh, the continued research out there. And uh, again, thank you for joining us today on CityCast Las Vegas. Thank you for having me. I enjoy being here. Here's what else Vegas is talking about. State Treasurer Zach Conine aims to reduce generational poverty by proposing a baby bonds trust fund. The state would drop $3,200 into an account for babies born into poverty, and then, 18 years later, each of those would be worth more than $10,000. The initial cost? 
about $80 million. Meanwhile, on Tuesday, four students were arrested at three local schools for having guns on campus, two at El Dorado High and one each at Mojave High and Escobedo Middle School. That makes 25 guns confiscated this school year. Concern abounds is the balance between school children's safety and less oppressive policing policies spawns complicated discussions. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Be sure to share this episode with a friend who loves Vegas wildlife. And if you have cool video of a coyote or a mountain lion, put that on our social media too. Don't forget to tag us at CityCast Vegas. Also rate the show, leave us a review and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Take care. I always thought it was Escobedo.